Today's story is about Ulupi, a snake princess who married the Pandav prince Arjun. Her superpowers include lighting fires underwater and bringing the dead back to life. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. from the epic tales of the mahabharat and ramayan to the folk tales of the panchatantra to stories of akbar birbal and tenali raman i have a story for every occasion the purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate my goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have we are back to the mahabharat and while this story features some of the main characters it is not strictly speaking on the main storyline that is to say today's story does not cause any of the main events in the mahabharat but the opposite is true a couple of the main mahabharat events cause the events in this story so i'm going to walk a tightrope here i'll try to cover enough essentials from the mahabharat main storyline for today's story to make sense while also avoiding giving away some major spoilers let's start directly with ulupi she was a princess who was also a snake and she lived in a snake colony in the river ganga but if your impression of life under water was something along the lines of an endless musical extravagance like in the little mermaid or one fun escapade after another like in spongebob you'd be quite wrong the light wasn't great sound did not carry very far and was very easily distorted and there was toxic industrial waste constantly being dumped into the river and what was probably worse was that the entire colony of snakes had ptsd to deal with the chief reason for that was garud you see garud is half man half bird and he's the king of all birds and He's also Vishnu's vehicle. We covered his story in episode 177 and 178 in which we saw that Garud decimated his cousins the Nags who were snake people. And this snake colony under the river Ganga was sadder than most because they had lost many of their family in that massacre. 
husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters had suddenly been lost overnight. Amongst the widows was the princess, Ulupi. Ulupi had been lucky to have survived, but her husband hadn't. Her father, King Kauravya, often urged her to find another husband. They had plenty of handsome, eligible bachelors in their colony who would all jump at the chance to marry Ulupi. Even though snakes couldn't really jump. It was just an expression, Kauravya explained. Ulupi resisted. Talking to even one prospective snake husband was a slippery slope. Soon, she'd be fighting off suitors by the dozen. Meanwhile, let's head back above the surface and let's specifically go to Indraprastha. It was a city, about where modern-day New Delhi is located. And in here lived the Pandavas. But things weren't very chirpy here either. It wasn't the loss of near and dear ones that brought about the gloom in Indraprastha. But before I explain why, let me start by explaining that the five Pandav brothers shared a wife, Draupadi. The story of how she ended up married to all five Pandavs is a complicated one, and it deserves a separate episode by itself. Obviously, it cast neither the brothers nor their mother, Kunti, in the best possible light. I, myself, did try to talk the Pandavs out of such an arrangement, and I even told them the story of Tilottama back from episode 176. But the Pandavs didn't buy it. They even went so far as to call me a snake oil salesman. But ultimately, they worked out a compromise. Each of the brothers agreed to spend a year at a time with Draupadi. And during that year, the other brothers were forbidden to even approach her room. Reluctant though I was, I reconciled with this idea in my mind because it was the equivalent of Draupadi divorcing one brother and remarrying another. Throughout, the brother who was with Draupadi at the time would stay loyal to her and she would stay loyal to them. So this strange arrangement went into effect. It was Yudhishthir's turn first because he was the eldest Pandav brother. Arjun was the middle Pandav brother and a general do-gooder. People would go to him for help and he'd always drop everything and assist them. To the Indraprast citizens, he was their agony aunt and their local police and fire departments combined. Because if there was a problem, Arjun could solve it. And almost invariably, he could solve it 
with his bow and arrows. Was a kitten stuck in a tree? Arjun could fire an arrow that would pierce a branch and make it lean at precisely the angle to make it possible for the kitten to hop off. Was there a rat in the grain silo? Arjun could give the little blighter a nudge to never again chomp away at their grain or at anything, in fact. So one day, a farmer came to Arjun and told him that his roof was leaking. Could Arjun please come and help him? Of course, Arjun said. He was more than happy to help. All we need is a careful trigonometric calculation, a well-placed arrow, and Bob's your uncle, he explained. The farmer retorted that no, his uncle wasn't named Bob, his name was Sukharam. But more importantly, wouldn't it be better for Arjun to try using M-seal or plumber's putty instead of an arrow? Arjun clarified that he had arrows for everything. One of them was sure to be stronger than M-seal in creating a waterproof seal in the farmer's hut. There was no question about it. Now, could the farmer wait while Arjun fetched his bow and his arrows? It was only after searching through his arsenal that Arjun realized with horror that he had left his bow and arrows in Draupadi's chamber. To Draupadi, he had been showing off his skills right before the one Pandav a year arrangement kicked in. The farmer wasn't bothered. He said Arjun might be able to make do with a ladder and plumber's putty. That was true. But to Arjun, it was unpleasant to even think about going an entire year without his bow and arrows. Could Harry Potter have survived a year without a wand? Or could Darth Vader have managed an entire year without his lightsaber? And so, Arjun walked into Draupadi's bedroom, unannounced, and came face to face with Yudhishthir. Yudhishthir demanded to know what was the meaning of the intrusion. Arjun asked, who was asking? His older brother or the king, judge and jury of Indraprasth? Not to be outdone at passing the responsibility, Yudhishthir replied, Jab tak ek bhai bol raha hai, ek bhai sun raha hai. Jab ek mujrim bolega, ek judge sunega. Meaning, as long as Arjun, the brother, was speaking, his brother would be listening. But if Arjun, the criminal, was speaking, the king of the land would be listening. Arjun explained his situation, but that sounded like a pretty flimsy excuse to Yudhishthir, the king. 
Why hadn't Arjun simply sent a messenger instead of just bursting in like this? Arjun sheepishly admitted that he hadn't thought of that. Well, the price for not thinking about it was 12 years of exile. 12 years? Arjun protested. Each of you will have had 3 years with Draupadi and I'll have had none. How's that fair? Remember, I was the one who beat her Swayamvar challenge. But Yudhishthir was firm. Arjun knew that if it had been Bhim or Nakul or Sahadev, they would have let it slide. At best, they'd have wagged a finger at their brother. But if there was one thing that Yudhishthir was really good at, it was doing things by the book. He never violated the law. He never told a lie. And he always upheld every rule. Which brings us back to why it was so gloomy in Indraprastha. Arjun, the local hero, was banished. Now, who would rescue their kittens from the trees? Who would protect their grains from rodents? Yudhishthir promised that as their king, he would look into it. He set up an exploratory committee to make recommendations. But the people didn't get their hopes up too high. Exiled from the kingdom, Arjun roamed around the country. He had no specific agenda. Not at this time. He was being a typical tourist, trying the street food, making friends with the locals, getting a bunch of instant portraits speed-painted so that he could keep them as memories of the trip. One day, he reached the banks of the Ganga. Seeing all the locals dipping themselves in the river, Arjun decided to do that as well. He figured, when in Banaras, do as the Banarasis do. But when he dipped, he realized he did not emerge quickly out of the water like all the other Banarasis. And the reason for this was that something had got a hold of his leg and was pulling him under. Was it the Loch Ness monster or the Kraken? He didn't panic, though he should have, because he didn't have his bow and arrows with him. He had left them in the safety lockers before entering the river. It turned out that the force that was pulling him under was Ulupi, and she had the best intentions in mind. She quickly took him to an underwater cave that somehow had a supply of air. Arjun didn't bother trying to understand the mechanics of it. He was just grateful to be able to breathe. Looking at Ulupi, he observed a beautiful, human-looking princess. Even though she really was a snake, she had the ability to shapeshift. And there was a king too, Kauravya. 
Father, I've been looking for a long time. And today, I finally found him. This is the man I want to marry. No! screamed both Arjun and Kauravya, although for different reasons. Arjun wanted to stay loyal to Draupadi. Kauravya's principal objection was that Arjun wasn't a snake. But Ulupi was stubborn and she ended up convincing them both. Arjun wanted to stay loyal, sure, but he wouldn't get to be with Draupadi for almost 12 years. Besides, the terms of the arrangement were that each Pandav brother could do what they pleased in the time that they were not with Draupadi. That convinced Arjun. A little too well, as we shall see later in the episode. Kauravya, the snake king, accused his daughter of pulling his non-existent legs. Arjun wasn't a snake. Kauravya had to admit that snake-human marriages weren't unheard of. But the humans involved were usually royalty. And Arjun seemed like an ordinary human. It wasn't until Arjun handed over a business card that Kauravya realized he was talking to a Pandav prince. The tourist disguise had completely fooled him. Of course, he would be delighted for his darling daughter to marry the great and illustrious Arjun. Kauravya was almost hysterical. It was exciting for Arjun to see how the snake people overcame what he imagined to be massive logistical difficulties. The Python Bakery, run by a python naturally, baked a whole bunch of sweets for their wedding. A boa constructor constructed a little stage for the wedding, all inside the cave. The only difficulty was when Arjun asked for his bow, which he had left by the banks of the river Ganga. He kept being presented with various bows, until he clarified that what he wanted was a curved piece of wood held together by a taut string, rather than the variety of snake or the long, thin, decorative scarf. Do you remember what I said earlier about sound being distorted underwater? No wonder the snakes made mistakes. The fire was more tricky, but Arjun insisted on praying to Agni, the god of fire. Ulupi was ready to do anything to please her husband. So she agreed. Besides, they were surrounded by water, so it wasn't a hazard that they couldn't easily take care of if the emergency arose. She furrowed her brows as she tried to recall her magical lessons. Then she put together a small pile of firewood that some snakes had fetched for her. She gazed at it with concentration. Then 
she took two sticks and started rubbing them together. All the while, she was chanting the magic word, Adarkadabra, which surprised Arjun a bit, since she wasn't an adder but a cobra. But maybe Abradacobra wasn't as potent a magic word as Adarkadabra. Anyway, Ulupi finally got the fire working. That pleased Arjun. It was rather impressive that she could light a fire underwater. The wedding happened the same day. There was a lot of dancing involved, naturally. Snake rattle and roll. Many of the wedding guests got drunk as well. Arjun observed with mild curiosity that some of the drunk snakes were now moving in a straight line instead of their usual slithering wave-like motion. Sort of the opposite of what you might expect from humans. A few days later, Arjun said that he should move along. He said he had places to see, skills to learn, and no offense, but firing arrows underwater wasn't the same as doing it above the surface. Ulupi wasn't surprised, and she didn't try to hold him back. Besides, she knew that soon she would have a baby to take care of, and that would keep her engaged. Within months, she gave birth to a bouncing baby bow. I mean, bouncing baby boy. She named him Iravan. As all babies in the snake colony did, Iravan too played with rattlesnakes instead of rattles. And growing up, mother and son would spend hours playing his favorite board game. Snakes and ladders, of course. Years passed, and in this time, Arjun had traveled far and wide. He also took Ulupi's advice about loyalty to Draupadi, which is why he got married a second time. This time, it was to Chitrangada, a princess from a kingdom in Manipur. This is the third similarly named character we are encountering in the Mahabharat. Two other Chitrangads made only a brief single-episode appearance back in episode 83. Anyway, Chitrangada's father had no objections to his daughter's marriage with Arjun. The only condition he had was that as he had no other children, Chitrangada's child would have to rule the kingdom of Manipur. Arjun wouldn't be able to take him and crown him king of Indraprasth or Hastinapur or something. To Arjun, that was an acceptable condition. Soon, Arjun and Chitrangada were married, and they had a son, Pabruvahan. There are a lot of details of Arjun's meeting with Chitrangada that I'm just glossing over. Those deserve a separate episode of their own. 
Arjun returned to Indraprastha when his exile was up, leaving in each case a wife and child behind. Years passed, and then the Mahabharat war happened to resolve a succession dispute. Without giving away too many spoilers, I'll just say that Arjun put one of the warriors in great pain and caused his eventual demise. Not really surprising when you're in a war, but the brothers of that warrior saw things differently. They cursed Arjun that he would be killed and that too by his own son. Luckily for Arjun, Ulupi was keeping a watchful eye on all this. She was well aware of the curse. She had also built a friendly relationship with Chitrangada and Babruvahan in the meantime. She would often visit them as well. The time came when Yudhishthir performed an Ashwamed Yagya. It was a campaign of expansion. A horse would be allowed to roam free for a year and whichever kingdoms it wandered into, the king there had a choice. Either fight or give up their kingdoms to Yudhishthir. And just to clarify, the kings would not have to fight the horse but the army that followed it closely. Heading that army was Arjun. The news of his accomplishments on the battlefield had spread far and wide. There were not many kings that chose to fight him. No one, in fact. That is, until the horse reached Manipur. Even there, Babruvahan, who had grown up and was the current king, did not want to fight his father. He was ready to sign over the documents handing over his kingdom, when Ulupi stopped him. Don't be a coward. You're supposed to be better than all those kings who meekly handed over their kingdoms. Now go and make your father proud by fighting him. Babruvahan was still reluctant, but eventually his fighting spirit won out. So he stepped out on the battlefield with his bow and arrow. What followed was a fierce battle between the two archers. Surprisingly, Babruvahan matched Arjun arrow for arrow. And in fact, he did one better. He managed to sneak in an arrow that caught Arjun right in the chest and killed him. Immediately, Chitrangada was mad with anger. She had mistaken this real battle for what she initially thought would just be a little father-son bonding time. She thought it would end with Arjun letting Babruvahan go and giving him some archery suggestions in the bargain. She was also mad at Ulupi for instigating Babruvahan to fight. But Ulupi had no time to listen. She was carefully unwrapping something. It was a brilliant diamond, also called 
a Nagmani. This was the fabled gem that had miraculous powers. Ulupi placed it on Arjun's chest and instantly Arjun was back to life. He was in the pink of health too, other than a slight headache for which Ulupi also gave him some aspirin. Arjun chuckled at the snake joke and then moved on to a much more serious topic. The Nagmani would have done all the work for them. Why hadn't she brought it to the Mahabharat war? So many people could have been saved. She could even have used it on the Nags to bring them back to life after Garud's massacre. Ulupi explained that it didn't work like that. The Nagmani needed to be charged for a long period for it to be effective. It was basically worthless now that it had been used, just as it had not been fully charged at the time of Garud's massacre. But she was now going to take it back to her colony to charge it up again. In fact, she said that she shouldn't delay. She had to leave now and take her diamond back. Get it? Diamond back, as in the variety of snake. Arjun chuckled again and nodded, yes, he got it. He perfectly understood and appreciated his wife's brand of humor. That's it for this time. Previous Mahabharat episodes are linked in the show notes and on the site sfipodcast.com. One note, not really about the show. Some of you listeners will experience a solar eclipse on October 14th. I think this is a good time for me to point you to episode 86, where I've provided one explanation for eclipses, according to Indian mythology. There are other explanations, of course, including one about Rahu, which warrants a separate episode. In the next episode, we'll be doing a story from the Kathasarit Sagar, or the Ocean of the Stream of Stories. We'll see a prince on a quest to solve a difficult problem for his kingdom. A problem that involves shape-shifting birds and golden arrows. But ultimately, it works out, thanks to instantly appearing mountains and rivers, and of course, loads of magical help. Thank you all for the comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on the show. Thank you Hiranmai and Bala for the comments. I saw the poll results and I see many of you are interested in hearing a story featuring myself. So I will oblige very soon. Also to note that this coming Friday, stories from India will have completed four years. And the next episode will also be the 250th one, including bonus episodes in the count. So, there are two reasons to celebrate. 
If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are any particular stories that you'd like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook and on X. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.